Welcome to the DevReady podcast, where we're helping non-tech build better tech. Today, we're joined by Nathan Kirshner from Prezin, where they're basically putting together AI technology and a bit of image recognition on the back of um, trucks in uh, mining sectors and other sectors as well. Nathan, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Cheers, mate. So, Nathan, tell us a little bit back about your background. So, you're obviously a founder, but I want to get dig in a little bit about how you got to where you are right now. Sure. So I'll try and give you a very long story very quickly. <laughs> um, so I'm the youngest of four boys. All my brothers were working in heavy industries and all ended up with serious injuries, so I couldn't work again. Oh, okay. During that time, I you know, went through school like you do, mm. ended up becoming an engineer, I guess as you do, <laughs> and thought it would be good to try and help in that kind of field. Uh, that took me through probably too much university. So I did an engineering to start with at UNSW, then did a PhD in engineering and then some uh, Bachelor of Science and then some more kind of engineering and you know, way too long at school. A lot of engineering. Then I ended up <laughs> a lot of engineering, <laughs> which is good, go engineers. <laughs> I hopped over into one of the largest construction companies on the planet, which was a bit of fun and got close to somewhere where I could actually try and solve the problem that started it off. Hmm. It's the business itself, right? So tell us how you ventured into that problem working in that business. So how did that all come about? So even that is a bit of a lengthy story. So I spent maybe 10, 10 odd years at universities. Uh-huh. So I was a professor here and there and a couple of unis in Australia and also spent almost 10 years over at Stanford in the States, uh-huh. all to do around situational awareness, uh-huh. which is the concept of, you know, giving machines some sense of what's going on around them, the mobility to sense and perceive the environment so they can you know, more effectively interact with the environment. So there's a lot of um, fundamental science in that. that. That's great. Get to write lots of papers, get to be an academic. <laughs> but when you bring it to probably the more practical world, the world's full of machines. It's full of human-machine interaction and human-robot interaction. And if you think about it in probably a particularly coarse way, it's all about the machine person interactions, mm-hmm. plant person interaction, plant infrastructure interactions. It's all that situational awareness. So that heavy background in maybe trying to understand what to do about the problem got me started. Then I jumped over to, like I mentioned a second ago, Lengar Orca, big construction company mm-hmm. who have that need where they have a lot of machines, they have a lot of people working in close proximity. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the biggest uh, leap to, to get tech somewhere near the actual need interface so mm. where the actual users were where the actual problem was where the actual opportunity to help was how big was and this it, problem that you found so what were some of the challenges that you saw in the space well it's really interesting right so probably the first bit was the kind of concepts the kind of accomplishments the kind of outputs i was just used to seeing uh-huh. were just completely unheard of in in this field so mm-hmm. it was really just um showing, demonstrating, and hearing a lot of, you know, let's say industry folks saying, I have never seen anything like that. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So it actually took it actually took a couple of years to start to unravel how much opportunity or how much uh, value is there to be captured. Then it snowballs very, very quickly. So a very simple stat from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, it's around 200 people die each year in workplace incidents and over 100,000 have a serious or traumatic injury. So, um, big numbers, isn't it? Yeah, big numbers, 
Mm-hmm. Big, big numbers. Banks are great. They make lots of money. Money is mm-hmm. great. People getting hurt is not okay. No, it isn't okay. Yeah. And it's all machine related, but most of that wouldn't have been interacting with machines in some capacity. About, yeah. yeah, about 65% yeah. of all, all of that has something to do with mm-hmm. interacting with the machine. Yeah, okay. So, so, it's, so it's yeah, machine. okay. Uh, yeah. So a, thir- a third stripping over or falling off something mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Paper cuts or something. That's fine. <laughs> paper cuts get recorded, do they? <laughs> maybe, maybe I was being a little bit dramatic. Yeah, I understand. Um, <laughs> it's you know, two thirds involved being hit by something big and metal, and mm, yeah, not good. if we can save <laughs> just one person, we did well, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, of course. What sort of machinery are you talking about? Are you talking about like forklifts and plant machinery, or is it big mining? So the giant trucks where the wheels are bigger than a person. So it, it's actually broad span if we're talking to someone who we've never spoken to before mm-hmm. so and i think this is one of the arts of introducing tech into a disruptive market you, you do you do start with the 400 ton dump trucks because people can imagine it very easy yeah easily you're like you know you've lots of blind spots you can't see anything you drive over a house and you wouldn't even notice mm-hmm. so it's so hard you, you need these extra sets of eyes to help you out that's very easy for um, you know the end user to wrap the head around and see the value Mm-hmm. Very quickly, though, it comes down to I could probably almost use this on my wheelbarrow, and then I'd know if someone was coming up behind me while I'm moving forwards. So like, yeah, mm-hmm. it really is agnostic to what kind of vehicle you put it on. Sure, every everything has a blind spot. People do. We only look in one direction. We wish we knew what was behind us. Mm-hmm. It's probably just a traction thing to start with. Very big yeah. and very yellow and very dirty. Yeah, and to move down to it could be everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So you could see it on the push bike eventually. Kids riding down the streets and watching out of driveways. That's it. Or there's a quite a big thing actually in roads, transports, and logistics of um, people on push bikes trying to cut past trucks that are turning. Yep. And there's just signs everywhere, and people are worried about everywhere. And it's very easy to, to lose sight of each other or not see it coming. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a very very simple one. And side of a truck or on the push bike or something, just letting everyone know each other know someone something's there. I was I mentioning it to Andrew the other day. It's very similar to the wing mirror, the LED on your wing mirror that just says someone's in your blind spot. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely, definitely. Yeah. So just having an indication of, like you said, sort of situational awareness, something approaching you to then yep. bring that knowledge to it, so you can make the right decision about what you're moving forward or stopping or what you should be doing at that any point in time. Then. Exactly. It's, it's a simple nudge, like something's there, mate. Have a second look. Mm-hmm. Do you dive into actually controlling the machinery or not at all? It's just more about awareness. So I think you're you're crossing over some very interesting territory, right? Mm, yes. So as soon as you present this kind of technology mm-hmm. to someone there, someone mm-hmm. you know at the coal front, so to speak, mm-hmm. the first thing they want to do is let's integrate into the machine, let's connect to this, let's <laughs> take control, let's shut everything down. Mm. I'll be extremely rude, but I think yeah. it makes the point. Yeah. If you do that, you're making the assumption that your workforce are psychopaths that are actually trying to kill each other. <laughs> because that's really what you do if you really need to take control if you yes. really need to take over mm-hmm. you really really have assumed that they are actually trying to kill each other mm. yep. if yeah. you take a step back of that and it's ridiculous I realize it's ridiculous mm. you take mm. a step back from that and go well why does it happen it's just I didn't know I didn't notice it was the information was too slow I, I didn't get mm. the heads up I didn't see them there I lost attention for a second yeah okay so Mm-hmm. Then it's, it steps very quickly back into, well, if I provide the information, we've already got the best controller for the machine in the machine, the operator. Mm-hmm. That works on a couple of levels. It actually works because it's 
simpler to implement because we've already got someone there who can control it. Definitely, that. it's yeah. much easier, isn't but it? The, yeah. But the industrial relations uh, examples through roots. So you, you only have to look at the news right now about Patrick Stevedore and um, the stress that those guys are going through about the automation. Mm. So we have organ automation that takes over and does the job. That's mm -hmm. threatening. That's yes, yeah. people that causes issues. It may not be real. It may only help. It may only create more jobs. It may only mm -hmm. simplify things. But, it, but it's scary. Yeah, it's change, right? Yeah. yeah, people people are afraid of change. <laughs> not many people like change. That's that's a reality. We all we pretend we do, but yeah, we like things to stay as normal if we can. And in the in the current climate of COVID, sitting through this, you can see that, especially in Melbourne. Yeah, there's not everyone. Not everyone's enjoying the current climate in Melbourne. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. right. So. There's, there's change, there's a fear of change. I think there's yeah. also a fear of your kids going hungry and your mortgage being mm. unpaid. Yes. So how, how about we just do this? We don't need you anymore. It's kind of like, um, yeah. that's going to be an issue for me. Mm -hmm. Get it. Oh, that's, that's a ground you stand on. So in terms of building technology like this, being on in a lot of dirt, dirty places, how, how have you gone about this? It's obviously a hardware component as well as software components. There's AI, there's a bit of technology in this, but that's the technology side. So how have you gone about delivering that? So maybe give everyone listening a, a sort of an overview of what the solution is. Mm. Sort of talked around the boot and I don't know yeah. if anyone knows what it actually is yet. <laughs> yeah, directly, sure. as to how, how it comes together. Okay, so there's, there's several elements in the uh -huh. solution and there's a central processing or black box, the, the AI box. Mm -hmm. Then there's sensors. Then there's also some uh, user input to configure and to set up the, the, uh, the widget. Uh -huh. Then there's a couple of outputs, one being a real-time output, so some kind of alert that's connected in you know, to the, the workflow. And then a bit more of the kind of uh, reports or cloud-based alert or analysis to let you know how things have been going and mm -hmm. how things are performing over time. Keeping in mind, I'm probably the tech guy in the company, the techs, <laughs> The text not actually an interesting bit, so yes. which is good to hear. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, in yeah. the end, it becomes around business case and how it all comes together, right? And how you focus That's on it. it from that perspective. So, the tech is basically what type of sensors do you use, just from a tech perspective, just for anyone listening out there. So, the sensors at the moment, stereo RGB, so not too dissimilar from you know the camera on your phone kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But two working in pairs to get something similar to your eyes, so it can actually perceive the distance and movement of you know that little bit better, and mm -hmm. gives a little bit more information. Again, I can't help but fall on that's not the interesting bit. The interesting bit in that particular case is actually the enclosure it's in. Enclosure has been arduously designed to be able to survive the worst of the worst. Mm -hmm. So high temperatures, low temperatures, drops, impacts, crushes, acid smashes, rubbing in the dirt. And um, the kind of things that mm -hmm. seem absurd when you're in the lab, mm -hmm. but it's just normal when you go outside. Mm. It'll be yeah. robust enough to cater for a probably a sanitized factory all the way up to a mine site where the thing might get smashed by a forklift as it's being driven past something. Mm. Yeah, well, that's absolutely it, right? So you think about it from a user's perspective, you, you don't really care how it works. And to be mm -hmm. honest, like you just don't, right? But if it stops working, you don't like it anymore. Yeah. So yeah. if you're using it for a week and then it stops working, you don't really care that it stopped working because of dust or it stopped working because the algorithm crashed or it stopped working because it was too hot or it stopped working mm -hmm. printing. You leave it at it stopped working. I don't like this thing. Yeah. So it just 
to solve the real problems to get the expected life cycle. You, you know, you, you buy a widget, you expect it to survive for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Same with anything in the consumer space. You're buying something, you no one cares how it works. You're buying a TV, yeah. it's meant to show you a picture and reliably, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, you expect it to work. Mm-hmm. You care if it continues to do it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's more about maintaining those expectations and continually to deliver on the outcomes of those customers that you're focusing on. That's right. Setting expectations, man, the expectations, making sure what's actually, you know, business 101s to try and delight customers a little bit. So setting expectations and over-delivering just a little bit. So, you know, it's actually a bit better and you're doing a bit better. Then it's the, the balance. So I think one of the great examples is the Apple versus Android. So, you know, iPhones do next to nothing, but what they do, they do extremely well and they look really good when they do it. So you you know what you can do and you know what you can't do and what it can do, it does really well, so you think it's great. Yep. Android, on the other hand, can do many, many more things, but none of, them, none of them are quite as refined as the Apple version of one-tenth of it. So it depends who you are. Mm-hmm. If you're the inverted commas tech guy, you think Android is better because it can do so many things you wish you could do on an Apple. If you're just a regular person, you're like, well, I don't know what VPN is anyway. So I just prefer to use an iPhone. Yeah, true. It, it is very true. So let's dig in about really the business itself. So how did you go about starting out as this, as a tech guy and founding a business? So coming from the other end, because you're jumping in, obviously delivering that technology, but what sort of team did you set up around you? How did you go about this process? Because well, just- building technology, like you know, is not, doesn't matter how good it is, you still need to sell it, you still need to support it, you still need to add value to customers. What have you done around the, yeah. the business model itself and putting I'll just that jump together? in before you get in there. So mm-hmm. you started working for that big construction company and started rolling out the product then for that company. Yep. So did that was that the start of the journey with was that were you doing that as part of that organization or is that when your business and your startup began? It's actually slightly more strategic, but it's it's exactly what you said. So some upfront analysis with the, the whole trinity of the business business technology and users, mm-hmm. you need to balance all three to make a, a viable you know, endeavor. So that started in very, in very early days, it became obvious that it needed to be usable mm-hmm. and it needed to be actually you know, fulfilling a business need or business adoptable. So then it became very obvious. So if you go back to you know, Steve Blank's kind of thinking, it came back to customer intimacy. So it wasn't about operational excellence. It wasn't about technological leadership. It wasn't about how great the tech was or how good we are at you know, pumping out sausages. It came to how useful it was and how easily a business could use it. Because that was the key you know, questions or need, then it stepped into what you're talking about, Anthony, about, well, who, are, who is actually the users? Who is actually the market? Then it's the big construction company. So, okay, well... If it fits into this business, if it's useful to these users, if it works for them, they're a reasonable representation of heavy industries. So a lot of uh, iterations went through just getting it, getting it right for them and, and kind of leaning on them as a bit of a, well, if they say it's useful and they started off speaking with screwdrivers and rollers, if they didn't like it, they just smashed it. So it was very clear very quickly. Nice. But, um, <laughs> oh, Makes the feedback loop very obvious. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> so it started off with them and then, um, okay, that became a fair representation of we were actually doing something useful. Then, it, so the, the crossover to Andrew, now that kind of cemented in, well, we needed you know, a tech team who was capable of making that product or an engineering team who was capable of making it. 
We need you know, the depth in that engineering team or the breadth, you know, to cover software design and AI and also mechanical and also some field engineering to be able to, you know, cross all the bases we need to get because robustness a lot was, there. Mm. Yeah, robustness was as big, if not bigger than the AI. Mm -hmm. uh, we went through those iterations for several years and then it, it came to the point where like, okay, well, we actually have a minimal viable product in the eyes of an internal company for an internal need. Mm -hmm. I wonder what we'd have to do to go external. Started to bring in external companies, and the answer was delightfully nothing. You just have to make it um, a bit better presented and a bit less like you're solving an internal problem, and you might actually have a product. Uh -huh. oh, cool. uh, and then I, I think uh, the pathway from there is pretty obvious, right? Then it, it went into industrial design and actually, uh, you know, business or commercials or productization to actually bring it to market. So you spun out of that construction company? That's correct, yeah. So it came out of Flango Rock about well, six or nine months ago. So I think officially Q1 this year, 2020. Yep. And Lango Rock retained a minority share. And it was really the whole, um, and hats off to them, it was really the whole Lango Rock doesn't compete on safety. And this is something that would be make it, you know, the world a better place. It's great for the industry. It's great for the community. We've got to do what's right to get it out there. And it's to be completely frank and honest, it's very unusual for a company to it say, is. Mm, it sure. makes most sense for us to step out of the way and make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's, that's a good stage to come from. That sort of startup journey is a bit different to what we normally have with guests on the podcast where they, they have an idea, they're working for an organization and they try and do it on their own on the side and try not to bring it into the organization because they have fear that they'll either take it or ignore it. There's no like in between yeah. like that you've got where they commercialize the product with you effectively. Yeah, so... I completely understand and so maybe what helped me is I, I spent like I said before about eight years in Silicon Valley just spending way too much time around startups and entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and I, I have seen way too close both vaporware and, and a, a solution looking for a problem <laughs> so uh, <But> something <laughs> it's very funny of them out there mate. <laughs> yes. there is mm -hmm. but something I picked up there was just the resilience so I sounded and felt almost like a broken record, just, just saying over and over like, yes, it would be great to have the whole pie, but the options are a small piece of very big pie or nothing. Mm -hmm. So it, it is a change in thinking. It is a bit different. The reality is the, there's diff, different business trajectories, right? The, the large companies cannot do this. So they actually cannot borrow the idea off you and do it themselves. Mm -hmm. because it's not core business it doesn't work like that it doesn't make sense yeah. so i completely understand being afraid that it's going to get taken away from you and someone else just does it but the reality is you can't do it yourself anyway so it maybe makes more sense to do it in partnership or be open about it all this is caveat with you've got to be in the right kind of environment because if you're in a, an environment that um supports that it goes with it facilitates it You've got a good chance if you're in an environment that maybe shuts you down, tries to keep in your place, it's going to be a harder slog. Yeah, of course. Yes, it can take years and get nowhere. We've been a part of one or two of those that just, um, yeah, get caught up in red tape of corporate and they, take, they just dwindle away yeah, because it comes too hard. So you definitely need buying in the organisation if you're going to drive out and productise and spin out a product, which, and hats off to them for the way it's been done because it sounds like it's been done for the good of the industry. So I think that, that's... Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a massive plus. So through your so experience, there's some very easy things in there. Sorry, Andrew, sorry to yeah, interrupt sorry. you. There's some yeah. very easy things in there to demonstrate. I think 
if I, if I was going to say the, the most successful thing I did during that journey was just to talk to venture capitalists and say, here's the idea, here's the traction, this is what I've achieved. How much do you think this company could be valued at? Mm-hmm. And pretty much any number they say, you, you can go back to the corporate and say, I'm an engineer, we're supposed to save you money. We, I just made you money. Do you want me to make you some more? <laughs> I can make you some more. I, it turns out it wasn't even that hard. Maybe I should keep going this way. I might tell you what you could do to help find someone who knows something about business to come with me because that would be very, very useful. <laughs> it, it changes a lot and it, it completely disarms or, or redirects arguments or discussions when you start to say, look, someone I've never met before who's a financial investor said they'd give me $10 million. I don't know why we're talking about whether this is a good idea or not. Mm. It feels like we should just do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it definitely changes the conversation if you bring any sort yeah. of information like that and you can start introducing a new revenue stream to an organization. Yeah, That's like right. you, you said there, engineers are seen to save money in an organization. Yep, you're there to build efficiency, not create, which is, and I think that's that's a massive plus that you've gone out and done that. And being a part of Silicon Valley in that world, you would have obviously learn a bit from there. So what's sort of the key takeaways of being in that environment? So what did, what did you learn from that environment? I think there's a couple and I can sum them up in probably three type little catchphrases. Yeah. So one is it's all about business technology and people. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't have just one. You've got to consider all three. Mm-hmm. Sweet spots in the middle. The next would be how good is your absolutely great idea if everyone completely refuses to use it? <laughs> and I think the answer to that one is pretty obvious. And the last is probably my favourite. There's 100,000 engineers in the world and we're absolutely definitely 100% right. Unfortunately, there's 7 billion other people who don't care. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's very true. And that's when you come from a product focus. So, And that's what it is, right? So if you are in the space of building your own product and an engineer and designing a product. It's, yeah, no one else really cares how it, does, how it works. They just care about the outcome and what it's going to deliver them, what value it's going to deliver them, what cost saving, is it going to save lives in your instance? That's what they care about. Yep. How it gets done, no one really cares other than other engineers or people that care about tech, which is generally not your client unless you're selling to the CTO who has a bit of a clue and that's maybe a different conversation. But yeah, they generally don't really care. They just want the outcome. That's right. So in so, terms of... Oh, go Andrew. Anyway, in terms of so bringing this business together, so how did it spin out? So what sort of people came... How did the team form, structure? What sort of people were, are a part of the team? And how did it generally evolve from that ideation stage to start getting bringing on clients? Did you bring on the board as well? Yeah, so what's, how did you build teams? So it's important to people listening out there to get a grip on how people do it to structure it in a way where it sure. can be a sustainable business. So, so it, was, it was fairly emergent. Mm-hmm. So we started it off with a pure tech team. So mm-hmm. just, you know, the engineers to do us. That slowly grew out uh, due to needs. So like I was mentioning before, we needed a bit more mechanical engineering, we needed a bit more field engineering, we needed a bit more whatever. So we started to grow. Mm-hmm. Very quickly realized, you know, 99% of the team was all an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> then when we started to introduce the concept of, you know, revenue gen- generation and finance and running a business and how, how could we actually make this a commercial offering, then it became very obvious very quickly that we needed someone with a business background. Mm-hmm. So that's bringing in an individual. We were very probably fortuitous because... We, we knew someone who started off perhaps as an engineer and later in career went into 
finance and specialized in innovation commercialization okay so there was a, a lot of common language there mm -hmm. i think that that's probably that last bit was probably just a bonus it was the core of the core was finding someone who understood how to actually formulate a business out of it that got us far enough to be able to articulate we had a product we had traction and we had some ability to generate revenue out of it which to be completely fair was enough that was enough to go to vcs and say look there's no vape here there's no dreams here there is a thing tap on it it will make a sound when you do you want to know some logos of people who are currently using it here's here's the spreadsheet you want to know how we're going to make money out of it by this then the vcs did their thing like well how coachable are you how willing to learn are you what if we had a product expert would you take their advice what if we had a you know cfo would you take his advice their advice whatever etc very easy um on our side of the table kind of palms up open-hearted to say we would not only take those advice they could have a desk we would very very much welcome someone with that background just to come in and just take over that function we don't want to be guessing at accounts if you've got someone who's an expert in accounts they can just take over that believe it or not is actually music to vcs ears because they want to have some kind of ability to I don't know, influence or control or maybe assist or boost or direct a company oh, from within. Yeah, they want to make sure you're you're coachable as yeah. a business, right? So because they're going to come in from a, a really a business perspective. So they, they want to bring people in that are, ensure that their money gets spent well and they get a return. That's that's the reality. And if they can add value, correct. So if they can add value and they see that there's gaps, then they can help fill them. They know the people that could fill them or that are the roles. That's, yeah, they want to know that you're, you're going to listen to that. Absolutely, definitely. They want you to succeed and they will, yeah. they'll do anything they can. And mm -hmm. in our case, we made it nice and clean. Like, Mm -hmm. You know, here are the things we think we should do. Here's five of them. Yep. Here, we only do two of them and we do them extremely, extremely well. We're very, very aware we need the other three. Please help. Please help. <laughs> yes. And I think yeah, when we're all looking at, at business generally, we don't look, there's, there's the areas, there's the marketing, the sales, the product itself, finances customer and that's that's those those key areas we all need to cover off all of them and if we do them all well we have a good business if we lack in one it's like the squeaky wheel so that can be the one that lets us down as a business itself so it's important to cover them all off that's true i would inject the, the temporal aspect the timing to that mm -hmm. so if you can demonstrate yeah. you've solved the real need mm -hmm. that's enough to buy you the time for the rest of things to happen mm -hmm. So if, if you, you know, let's be dramatic, if you go into whatever and say, look, my accounting's at Australian accounting standards, look how good I am. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> someone else says, but they're all zeros, you haven't actually done anything. Yes. You're not going to succeed. If you go and saying, I've made this widget, and that mate over there who does some job I don't really understand said it saved his life, which sounds like a good thing. Yes. <laughs> um, they'll say, well, gee, that's pretty bloody good. Mm -hmm. And then they'll say, how's your accounting? And you say, that I don't do. So lead with a product market fit, lead with solving a real problems, fulfilling a real need, lead with the traction, the momentum, you know, demonstrable connection to the market. That buys you the time to be able to bring in or to, to amp up the other, set, the other systems. Oh, definitely. If you're generating revenue too, that's another win. So, I mean, you mentioned generating revenue. So, as soon as you're talking about generating revenue in a startup, it makes life a lot easier for everyone to look at and 
then yeah, if you're still generating just an engineering team, you're doing quite well. So I agree with that. Yeah. I think that's a, yeah, that's a good point in terms of that. So it is all about the product itself. Is it solving a real problem? I think you mentioned it a few times today. I think there's a lot of tech out there that has been built just off an idea and never speaking to any users. <laughs> but it seems like you've gone down a, a, a process to work with your company and get an understanding of what the users really need and yeah. what they desire and solve a real problem. True, and it, it's so it's so attractive as yeah. you know a tech guy to just make cool tech and stay in my dark room and be very happy about it. Yeah, <laughs> but, but if you have a look at some examples of the the outside world, right? So, you know, you you take the mobile phone example. It is what it is, and no one will leave home without it. And if you're like me, you leave home without it, and you feel naked and turn around and go home. You contrast that to a smartwatch, which is pretty impressive tech, and you leave home without it, and you never wear it again because who cares what they do anyway? Yeah. So it's not about how good the tech is, it's about how useful it is. What do I get out of it? How well do I understand it? How, when I get used to it, do I ignore it? Do I reject it? Or do I become addicted or dependent on it? Maybe if you go too far down the addicted stream, you end up with other issues. If you get ignored, then the first time you, you know, someone forgets to carry it with you, it never gets looked at again. If you get rejected, you fail very quickly. Mm. Yeah. In terms of, some tips that you drive out for people that are in your seat, because there are a lot of non-tech, there are, you're a technical founder that are out there. What tips would you say around, so you've, you've structured out, build a good product, focus on solving a real problem, but in terms of engaging with customers, and I think just how you went about that approach and ensuring that you're solving the right problem, what are some of the things you put in place there? So it, it's, even I find this quite rude, and I'm thinking about it myself, so if you want to talk about the tech, if you want to think about the tech, go and do a PhD and, and talk to them. <laughs> You've done a few of those, didn't you? <laughs> Are we doing a bunch? <laughs> yes, unfortunately I have. Yeah. If, you're, if you're going to talk to customers or real people, mm-hmm. what does it do and why does it do that? Mm. That's all that matters. They don't, they, how does it work? What's in it? What are you thinking about? How did you pull it together? What kind of whatever does it use? It's rude, but they... People just find it boring. They switch off. They don't care. They just yep. let go and stop. And you find the right audience. You can talk about it for a year. No worries. Mm. I think that's the classic mistake. Uh, definitely, I used to make when I was younger. I'm proud of what I did, so I want to talk about that, mm-hmm. which is a mistake. Mm-hmm. It's really, I go to talk to someone else. What do you want to know? What are you interested in? What means something to you? What's valuable to you? I will connect what I've done to, to give you what you just said you wanted. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, I, you know, I as the third person see what value or what usefulness I'd get out of using that. That's great. I'll take top five. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no one cares how it does it. And the learning, yeah, no one cares how it does it. But that that point there is when you query the customer, you can also improve the product too. So, uh, and the offering. So, getting a real understanding of who the customer is, you you will improve the product. Well, learning about them, not about telling them about what you do. And I think that's a fair point. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And just, just to close it off, you actually end up feeling better as an engineer mm-hmm. because when you really think about it, the, the biggest reward is to have someone else say, that thing you made is really useful. That really helped me. And that's what every engineer wants. They want to be their exactly. technology to be used. And the last thing you want is vaporware or something that sits yeah. on a shelf and never gets touched. Yeah. You don't actually want them to explain back to you how it works. You just want to hear that yeah. it was useful. Yep, correct. Same with well, us in the software space. We want to see yeah. our software being used, not correct. us deploying and go, yep, that's perfect. Let's go. 
<laughs> it never oh, gets touched. Oh, we've we've built software in the past. Sits it goes into a corporate, sits there, goes nowhere, and you think, why the hell did we build this thing? So we've changed our approach over the years in terms of helping customers understand what their actual users really need, rather than just building things. Because sometimes yeah. I think um, a lot of people don't go down the approach of. They, I don't know what it is, but they get a little bit too close to their ideas and they just build it and then they just show it to the market and here it is, come and buy it or come and use it. And that's a very dangerous approach because in your mind, it might add value, but in everyone else's mind, it might be done completely backwards yeah. and rendered useless. So. so so, I tend to agree with that. I, I find that a very externally facing opinion though. So, mm-hmm. so I, I agree that it's very real and that's the underpins of business mm-hmm. on a very personal level it's defeating it's defeating to sink so much into something oh definitely. Have so many good ideas put it all in there show it to someone else and then just not get it yeah just not use it not get it not value it not appreciate it. it's actually defeating you actually feel bad mm. when you start to realize by doing less by putting less in <laughs> by achieving less and by making that one thing that little bit clearer that little bit simpler a little bit more in tune with what's needed people respond really really well to it you're like right well dad did always say to be a good engineer i should be lazy I guess he was right. <laughs> well, that's that's the point of functionality, right? So when you look at any software, I think the similar rules apply. And when you build an MVP, that might be only 20% or what do you imagine? But I've, I've, in the past, I've heard stories about people that design 200 functions, they build 25, 30, and then their product never needs the other 175 because it solves a problem and they were just nice to have. So yeah, when you get carried away and focused on just function after function, things can get a little bit lost on what, what you're actually trying to do here. You're not trying to build a product, you're trying to solve a problem. Uh, <laughs> and delivering the outcome. Yeah, correct. So Nathan, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I just want to leave you with this one question. You've obviously been in the space for a little while, um, building product and now working in a quite an interesting industry. If you were to go back to Nathan 20 years ago, that engineer that was designing products, what, what piece of advice would you give him to maybe speed up your thinking to maybe focus more on that customer and that business itself? So what's some advice you would give out to people that, that are technical that may want to consider building a product, but yeah, get the focus off the product? Yeah, so I think it's, it's all along the lines of don't try so hard, talk some more, fail forwards, fail fast, fail often, and don't let it get to you. If you, if you show someone quickly what you're trying to do, might even be on paper, it might be a sketch, it might be a piece of cardboard. Mm-hmm. If the answer is yes, yes, keep going that direction, that sounds great. Effort That's... well spent. If the answer is I don't want that, effort saved. Yeah. Last thing you want is to spend uh, six months building a product no one wants. So yeah, the sooner you get in front of your users, I think that's yeah, that's the biggest tip. So we find that yeah, a wireframe or a sketch can work wonders and save you a hard lot of heartache and just evolve it through that process. So Nathan, been a pleasure, mate. I uh, really enjoyed having a bit of a chat from a, from an engineer side in terms of spinning out a business and a product in and from that perspective, because there are a lot of us out there that are in that world and not getting the grip on the business side of things and what it might mean to actually roll out a product that actually adds value to the marketplace. I really appreciate your time. Been great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. If anyone wants to learn more about yourself, uh, how might they reach you, Nathan? Um, I think the easiest thing to do is probably Google. Google uh, either my name, Nathan Kirshner, or Google Presian. Um, I'm sure you'll find it. If you can't remember any of those things, Google AI Vision Systems, hope for the best. <laughs> best. We'll pop it out on, on LinkedIn and bits yeah. and pieces anyway, so we'll share it all out for you, mate. I appreciate your time. Thank you.
Thanks, Carson.